So not only do we talk about the amazing grace of God today, I want to talk about his righteousness and the impact that his righteousness has upon all of our lives, how we live, who we are, and the like. Jesus gives us this directive in Matthew chapter 6. In verse 33, when people were concerned about, and he's reminding them that God is the one who provides everything, he's the one who gives us the food, we ought not be worrying and the like. But he tells us here in verse 33 of Matthew 6 is recognizing the Father knows what we have need of. So on this particular day, we have, according to Jesus' word, to believe that our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. So he says as a result of that, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It is in seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness we're going to talk about. So the question for all of us today that we want to consider is righteousness. What is it and where does it come from? And who is righteous? And what are the benefits of righteousness? If there are benefits of righteousness, what are they? So Jesus directs us, again, to see these things. Now, I think about my point of view over the years and things, how sometimes you can emphasize the negative and fail to see the positive and all that. So there are a couple of scriptures that stick out in my mind in terms of righteousness. And they are one from Isaiah that says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Okay? The second one is the Apostle Paul addressing the church in Rome where he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And he's quoting from, from the Old Testament as well. With that thought in mind, sometimes it, we can begin to think that righteousness is something beyond our ability to, to have. But more than to have, to enjoy. And so... We've worked hard through the years. Ancient Israel worked very, very hard through the years to attain righteousness. And God had given them laws. We call them the Ten Commandments. They gave them statutes and judgments and all of these things because when we think about that which is right, well, right in whose eyes? Well, it, right in God's eyes, what, what he wants to do and those laws that he gave to ancient Israel based on two things that Jesus tells us. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and being, one, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus tells us in that regard. We find, though, that what Israel did and what happens in humanity uh, when, when they had this, this certain set of laws is the desire to be go beyond the righteousness of God, uh, to make sure that we're doing exactly what we need to do and doing a little bit more. So the problem becomes that in terms of man and man's version of righteousness is the 
to continue to add to it and to make laws and make little things and make it more fine-tuned to the point that we become perfect and the desire. Now, there's a scripture in Matthew also that tells us, become you therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I heard someone the other day make this comment, and I think it's worth quoting. And it was about perfection. And, um, and, and contrasted to excellence. And their comment was this, and I, I tend to agree with it, perfection is about the external appearance. Excellence is about what is inside of you. Because in our hum- humanity, we are we were born imperfect. I and mean, we're, we're, we're God's great creation and all of that. But we're, as, as human beings, we are imperfect. And we have problems and difficulties. And so in this world, it becomes problematic when we seek to be perfect. And um, we, we have to have everything perfect and in place. In fact, actually, it becomes a, a mental health issue. We become obsessive, compulsive. We, we just have to have perfectionism. And in doing so, in doing all of that, we have the tendency, if and when we tend to think that we've got things, everything in order, to look down our nose at others. Or if something doesn't go exactly the way in which we have wanted to go, we tend to lose our cool and all of that, and we quickly do that. Now I realize on the other end of the spectrum, you can become very lazy, lackadaisical, and just nonchalant about everything, but this is not what we're talking about today. We're talking about seeking the righteousness of God, but in this context, it's also about seek ye first his kingdom. We're talking about kingdom living, and I have been trying to emphasize to us in the last couple of sermons, one, on living on the promises. It's not just a matter of standing on promises and being faithful, but rather the ability to live life. Do you think that God, is there any promise that God is going to give us another physical life? This is the one and only, except for a few people like Lazarus who died and and was brought back to life. Uh, But God isn't promising us another physical life. This is the only physical life that we have. Jesus makes a promise that he came that we might have life and we might have it more abundantly. And it is, in terms of having an abundant life, when we think about God, it's about our relationship with God. And when I hear Jesus giving a parable about the prodigal son, uh, which includes all of us because we've all gone off and done our own things and wallowed in the, in the mire of the, you know, the world and the like. But what we see, it's called the prodigal, the father of the uh, parable rather of the prodigal son, but it's really about God our father and, and how the father treated the son when he came back and the relationship that the son was able to have with his father. Because of whose righteousness? Because of the son's righteousness? No, because of the father's righteousness. Because that son was able to determine in his mire and muck and mud and all of that, that his father was a good father. And his father, I could go back and I could, you know, my dad will treat me right. And that the the heavenly father is righteous. So we find righteousness closely linked to the kingdom of God. 
And I want us to recognize when we think about righteousness is how we live life this day, how we conduct ourselves, how we think, how we live, and that the hope that in the sight of God and because of God and because of his righteousness, we can find life. So we read here about John in, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 5, where John is, is said that John prepared a way for Jesus, the righteous son and the redeemer. So when we think about who is Jesus and and we see the example that Jesus sets for us. In this particular case, we're talking about Jesus being baptized. But the point about Jesus is his willingness to be, become one of us, his desire to do what God wanted him to do, and to set an example for all of us. So when, when John says, look, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus replied here, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Jesus, again, when we think about fulfilling the righteousness of God, his righteousness, it is that God would set us that example through Jesus. Again, then tells us, you know, who should be baptized. If Jesus, who did no sin, was baptized to set us an example to be a light to us, then obviously for all of us, that public demonstration of his belief in the righteousness of the Father and what God the Father was doing. Also in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 32, we find this example. So we're going to touch on a couple of things here in terms of the righteousness of God. But in verse 32, the Jesus righteousness gives us hope. In verse 32, we read here. Now, I put this in for us because Jesus makes comment of this, but it's the hope that you and I can have even though we've had this checkered past. Even though, our, and our checkered past may be not just that we sin, but that we tried to outdo God. And we, you know, in our own self-righteousness and the like. But here, Jesus, we find this example here uh, where Jesus is telling, John came to you to show the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Now, I don't know of any of you being a tax collector, and I don't know of you being the other as well, but that's not the point. It was people who sinned. That Jesus came to show a way of righteousness. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. It is the righteousness of Christ. It is the sayings of Christ. It is the reality of what Jesus is teaching us that helps us to realize that we have hope in his righteousness. And that as the Messiah, whose mission was to come to save mankind, to save sinners... It is seeking the righteousness of God. Because what is what does Jesus say about the Father? That the Father, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It is because of God's righteousness. When we think of the creation in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, when it says, Genesis 1 rather, where it says, let, let us make man in our image. It is God who initiated all of these things. And as we 
learn more and more, we recognize it is about God from the beginning to the end. And all of this is very, very good, no matter what situation that we go through. Now, when we think this, I also want to talk about righteousness from what David is quoting in Psalms 119. And he, he 119, Psalms 119, verse 137 through 100 and, you know, I got 137 through 134. So we're going to read backwards, but not, not really here. In, in verse 137, and we'll read forward here, where it says here, Righteous are you, O Lord, and your laws are right. This is a, a fundamental understanding that Jesus had, that David had, and it's also an attitude that God is righteous. I believe that Lucifer's attitude and thought about God is that you're not righteous. You, you know, you don't, you're too forgiving, you're too kind, you're too generous. Uh, and, but I think that is prompted by his self-centeredness and his selfishness on that because it was all about him. But David says, you're righteous. Your statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. So, but I know that and this is a part of the struggle that we have and why we would talk about this and remind ourselves, we live in a world of a great deal of unrighteousness and a great deal where people do not believe that God is righteous. If, if we have a problem, well, where's God in all of this? Well, God's been in it from the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. You know, I was just singing that soul, it, that soul, that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I'm thinking, you know, with God's help, that's something that nothing can touch except God. And that is, that's the part of us that is, we want to be healthy. And it is healthy because there is a God. He says, your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands are my delight. Your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding that I may live. And so when we talk about the righteousness of God, it is giving us understanding of the righteousness. Now, that God wants us to have and that he conveys to us through his son. Now, Jesus speaks of a false righteousness of those who trust in themselves. So I wanted to give us that example as well from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through uh, 14. In Luke chapter 18, and beginning here in verse 9, we read this, beginning in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Now, we may, the word in the King James is a little different despised, despised everybody else. And because they were, they had their own righteousness. And we think about our own way of doing things and, well, we're going to do this. We're going to accomplish it on our own. There is a tendency to look down on other people. 
This is not what Jesus did at all, and this is a lesson that we have to learn. He says, and then he gives an example. Two men who went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up, he prayed about himself. You know, <laughs> this, some of these things that you hear, you think, okay, because the question we ask, what is righteousness? Well, you have to reverse it. And then it'll kind of tell you what righteousness is. And so I would say here, righteousness is about praying for other people. Righteousness is about holding up others. Righteousness is about not despising your neighbor or thinking that you're better than other people. So he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is Jesus' summation. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This, again, is a demonstration of the righteousness of God, also a demonstration of the self-righteousness of men, and despising. So, when we look at God's righteousness, it doesn't look like men's righteousness. So, I wonder for us to look at Mark chapter 2 in this example. In Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we, we read this. And Mark makes this comment to us. In verse 15, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So this is a collection, but what is Jesus doing with them? He's having dinner with them tax collectors and sinners and I'm and I, it makes a good combination because if you're a tax collector some of those sinners may owe you taxes and if you owe taxes to the tax collector you might have something against the tax collector it is a collection of people who could have all kinds of enmity one toward another but in this particular case Jesus is righteous to both of them and there were many who followed. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked him, his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not healthy. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, it's a reminder of the confidence that we can have in Jesus' righteousness. God's gracious act of righteousness is accomplished by imparting the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus to the believer. And it is experienced through faith in Christ and accomplished by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So we read in in our introduction from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, that righteousness is from faith to faith. So when we think about righteousness, we think about acting upon the righteousness of God, living the kingdom. 
So Peter put it this way, which I, we find encouraging in understanding who we are and what God has called us to. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, Peter says, speaking of the elect strangers in the world in verse 1, but verse 2 he says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of his blood. This is a mouthful, speaking of the righteousness of God. So we start with, first of all, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. This isn't about us. It isn't about, well, oh, I went and found God and the like, and I showed God who I am, and and I'm doing this, and God just has to choose me. No, it speaks about the foreknowledge of God. It is by the sanctifying work, and this is, sanctification is a process, is a growth process that is accomplished through the Holy Spirit in our life for obedience to whom? To Jesus Christ, and how has he made this possible? By his blood that cleanses us. It is Christ who has done this for us. So when we think about how to live righteously and what is unrighteousness, we get an example of this in Colossians chapter 1. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Where Paul is talking here to, to the church in Colossae, and this is what he says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Now we're talking about God's righteousness. And where we set our minds, where do we look? Set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That is, the old man is dead, we have life in Christ, we are hidden in him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then, now, this is going to give us the antithesis of righteousness. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, because these Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And here's again, what are these things? A reminder to who we are. And as James says, don't forget, you know, you look in the mirror, don't forget yourself. He says, you used to walk in these ways, in in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. And then he goes on and begins to list more things. Anger, rage, malice slander, filthy language from your lips. How much TV do we watch where there is bleeping out of language? Bleep, bleep, people talk that way. Even the regular, but how much do we watch where there is no bleeping? And there should be a bleeping and the like. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and then you've put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, 
then here's again the result of this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with... Now, now we're talking about characteristics of God's righteousness. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here are the challenges of the righteousness of God. God is, has been, always will be, he is a forgiving God. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So we see here, again, the contrast between the righteousness, the way of man, which is unrighteous, the way that we've all lived in part in times past, and a new way that we live. Now, Paul then goes on, and I know there's a lot of scriptures to this today, but we'll try to, to work our way through this. But in Romans chapter 3, when Paul's talking about the righteousness that comes from God, this is, is what he says. And here's the essence of all this, brethren, is we seek God's righteousness, not our own. But in doing that, we live a, a life that he calls holy and blameless. He sees us. And we have a joy in being able to do that. So he says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law. It is amazing, uh, if we don't understand this, that apart from the law, in, as, we, as we live life in this life today, and as we look forward, I keep reminding myself, and this is my thought, thought, and if we want to call it my theory on theology, is that God's desire for us always has been to live not according to the law, but according to his will. Because the law, then you have to write the law, and then you have to keep it fully in the law, and God isn't about just law, he is about the will and a heart that willfully serves him, loves him, loves one another, and the like. So righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And we see that perfect exampleness that a righteousness from God. Now, who might be a righteousness from God? Who? We're talking about who now? Now I know you know the answer. Who did God send? His son, Jesus. He is a righteousness from God. So we look to him. It is his righteousness, not ours. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. How does this righteousness? It comes by faith in Christ Jesus and all who believe. For as there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, we're busy trying to redeem ourselves and our righteousness. We're trying to make everything right. We've got to do everything. And, we, and as a result, we crucify one another. Now, not only that, the righteousness that we talk about is a gift from God. So Romans 5, verse 15 through 17 where Paul says here to us, but the gift is not like the trespass. 
For if the many died by the trespasses of one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one man's sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It is a gift of righteousness. You know, I see that when Jesus said, of course, I've used this, and, and I'm not trying to be gender biased or anything, but it just speaks so loudly to us when Jesus says to the woman, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. This, the, the righteousness, the mercy of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus when he reaches out and touches a leper and heals him, the righteousness, the, the righteousness of, of his righteousness and his desire for us all. So, through one is declared righteousness by faith, and also by faith we seek to do the deeds of righteousness. We have to trust God that he is faithful, and that we learn to trust God in his righteousness. So, what are we becoming? And this I know the world does not like. Hopefully, we rejoice in this. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, Therefore, do not, Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desire. Now, this is a very, I won't say open-ended, but a generous statement. That is, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Paul could have put this a little different. Don't you ever sin one time. If you do, you are no good, rotten, you'll never inherit. I don't know if you're converted or ever any of those kind of things. He says, and <laughs> you've heard that, but don't let it rain in your bodies. Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those that have been brought back from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. Now, when we think about offering parts of our body, as it were, as instruments of righteousness, you know, I think about how that works in a marriage relationship, in a partnership, where you, as partners, you help each other work through life, and you, you help each other in, in a righteous way, in, in caring way, and the like. And as hopefully as we get older, we learn more and more about that. We're, we're there for each other. And so when I was talking about Jim and Carol, you know, the, going through what they do, they're going to have to be there as instruments of righteousness. Well, that plays out in, in a lot of ways. So let's think about this because and, and only in terms of how we learn. On the one hand, when you're having to be cared for, it isn't easy. It is very difficult to be cared for, especially if you've taken care of yourself all your life. 
So if you've been a legalist all your life, it's hard to turn your life over to God. If you've been a Sabbatarian, and I had this conversation earlier this week, and you just have to keep the Sabbath, and you know, from sundown to sundown and the like. And if you don't, you have no peace, but you fail to realize that's only one day when God, when Jesus is offering you a lifetime of rest and peace. All you, you know, I, this statement could have been made a little different. Jesus could have said, come to me, all who are weary and, and the like, on the Sabbath day, and I will give you rest. He didn't limit it to time. So, when we think about instruments that that we become instruments of righteousness, that we that we're, you know, we read those things. That we're, we're compassionate. We're kindly. We're all of these things. It is difficult, as say, being one who's cared for, and at the same time, the person who is doing the caring. And we learn patience. We we learn to, humility, because being sick and the like can be very, very humbling when you can't do things for yourself. Well, but I'm always reminded that Jesus is the greatest caretaker we can ever have and the hope and and the like. But so it's about becoming, again, part of that. And then he goes on, what then shall shall we sin? It talks about we're not under law but under grace. But shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. God made us. None of us are whole as human beings. Men, women, you know, we need each other. And there's a, a process of being there for each other. And certainly Jesus has been there. So there's a joy to say, you know, my life is about accepting the righteousness of God and living that way. So to be righteous means to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he told the church, that is Paul told the church in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24 this. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, he makes this statement to them. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we're talking about a new creation and baptism and all the rising up to be a new, new person. It says, put on a new self, created to be like God. That's encouraging. In true righteousness and holiness. And then it says, put off these other ways. So we've heard and we understand these things about our old way of life and our new way of life. Another encouraging statement is found in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28 in terms of righteousness. Things that we can understand how God would have us to live. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 28 and 29 we read this statement made to us. In verse 28 now and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right 
has been born of him. So righteousness is doing what God wants you to do. Living according to God's will. And sometimes it's a bit awkward for us. And it isn't easy. Now, Jesus is the only man who lived a perfect righteousness and fulfilled all the moral laws. When you read about, you know, Jesus said, not one jot, one tittle, he fulfilled them all. He also made the statement, I always do what pleases my father. Jesus, the man God, Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us as it was to Abraham. So we have on the one hand, we again, this is what Jesus is offering to us. You have your righteousness. And you could say, well, look, Lord, all that I have done. Or Jesus said, you want to take my righteousness? Your obedience or Jesus' obedience? Jesus, when talk about becoming perfect, that's the only way you can become perfect is to accept his righteousness, his obedience, his love, his joy, all of these things. Now, when we talk about faith involved in this, the example that he gives about of uh, Abraham in Romans chapter 4 is this way. Because we think about faithfulness and Abraham being the father of the faithful, but in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, it says here, it reminds us, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God. Now, this is a tough part of our lives now. Abraham believed God, and what did God do? Yes, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when he believed God, what did Abraham do? He actually acted upon his belief. And you, and he, he made up stories. Like when Isaac said, well, what's going to happen? God will provide. Did he know? He, Lord, you will provide. You made a promise, you will provide. He had that. He believed and he acted upon that belief. And as a result, God credited righteousness. Um, so I'm going to give a point of credit to Jeanette. Jeanette called me earlier this morning and said to me, hey, um, Susan is going to have to move. She's going to have to move three or four days. I was thinking that maybe I'll go get some things over at U-Haul so, because she need boxes and all of that. And I sat there and thought, yeah, that's a great idea. Thanks for thinking about that. I believe that's a righteous act. I'll just put it that way. I believe it's a righteous act with the will of God, but you know, because she acted on it. And I'm kind of crediting... Now, thank you. That's the second part of this, which is really the first part. It's doing God's will. This is what God works in our mind to help us to do what we do to live right. But I believe that's a righteous act on your part. Having said that, having said that, then I want to read to us what the Apostle Paul said. And Jeanette, again, a good answer, and I believe a a beautiful answer, because Paul says here in Galatians 2.20, 
he says to us and reminds us of this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I would, so let me just, use the, I'm using Jeanette, and hopefully not beating her down with this, but uh, Jeanette has had to move before, knows what it's like to get boxes, knows what it's like to, to lose somebody, and you can't think straight in law. So I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When we think about righteousness, his seeking his righteousness, I believe, brethren, we have to recognize, as Paul did, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Jesus is telling us, seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. It starts with, you love God, and you know that God has everything right, and he has a right to everything. He has a right to our life, he has a right to the way we think, our thoughts and the like. He has a right to tell us what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And he is righteous in everything that he does. Jesus, the righteousness sent from God, stands before him and says, Father, look at them through me. And it's his righteousness, not ours. And we look back at Jesus and say, Lord, help me to see you and help me to allow you to live your life in me because you are righteous and glorious and holy. And Jesus returns the favor to us in a righteous way when he says, you are holy and blameless in my sight. Brethren, we have a great calling, a heavenly calling. And we rejoice in the righteousness of God, not our own, in the righteousness of Jesus as we're led by his spirit to his glory, praise, and honor. Let's conclude in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for your kindness, your mercy, and the opportunities that you give to us to live life. We pray that, Father, truly, we will walk in your will, live righteously to your glory and praise because you are the righteous one not us, but we're very thankful for the blessing to walk in your way to your glory. And in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. The world today is a challenging environment for Christian believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Looking for answers? Grace Communion International local churches in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto offers a comforting environment for Christians in search of spiritual growth and development. Contact a local ministry. Attend a local GCI churches at the times listed on your screen.